Hey everyone, this is going to be most likely a long episode. I've had a few friends text me and say, Matt, what do you think about what's going on in Israel, in Palestine right now? How do you make sense of this? How do you think about what's happening? Where do you fall? And instead of sending them all individual messages back, I figured I would collect myself and really think about this and prepare a response that I would feel comfortable sharing publicly and also that I would feel comfortable looking back on in the future. So what I want to do here is talk a little bit about history. I want to talk about terrorism. I want to talk about context. I want to talk about dehumanization and injustice. I want to talk about how two sides are needed to find a solution. And I want to talk about shared visions. Those will be the main points that I walk through here. And along the way, I will likely stumble across a number of perspectives that I have on how I think about this enormous problem. So to start with some historical context, you have to go back to millennia. This land is holy and it is sacred for multiple peoples throughout the world. That includes the Jews, the Christians, and the Muslims. This makes up half of our world. Or, I should say, maybe two-sevenths to half around there. And without that context, without this being shared, it would make things a lot less complicated than they are. And I think it's important for us to acknowledge that. And it's also important to acknowledge that the Jews came first, and then the Christians, and then the Muslims. And it's important to realize that that order makes a big difference because given the Muslims came last, they were the ones to stick around. And of course, there were the Crusades. There were many wars over this land. But let's fast forward a little bit to the early 1900s when... the British government decided to create a state in this area called Israel. And their idea was to allow it to be a place where Jewish people could live. But their execution to make it happen in that way was quite brutal and unfair to the native settlers the people who lived there, who at the time were an immense majority Muslim. These are people who had lived there for a long time. They had had their homes, their communities. These places were established up to this point. And then something new was introduced. 
and this something new introduced was not just for fun. This was introduced because there were real problems. Major anti-Semitism across Europe, leading to major persecution movements of the Jewish people. You have, basically since the founding of the religion, wherever Jewish people have been, they have been persecuted. They have been treated poorly. They have been murdered in mass. Think about the example in Spain with the Inquisition. If we continue on and, and see the impacts there, more and more Jews fled to this place because they believed it was safe. They were finally a safe place for Jewish people to live in comparison to Europe at the time, which had the rise of Nazi Germany, the rise of fascist Italy, the rise of fascist Spain, and also the rise of a communist power in the Soviet Union at the time. All of these places persecuted Jews. And where were they to go? Where were they to go to be safe? Many went to the United States where they did have safety or more safety than they had in Europe, I should say. And many went to Israel. And in 1948, there was an act known in history as the Nakba, which is the event in which over 750,000 Palestinian settlers were expulsed from their homes in order for the new Jewish settlers to establish themselves in them. There are still Palestinian people who are alive who went through the Nakba. And many of these Palestinians helped the Jews who came to Israel because they understood their plight. They understood the pain and the suffering. They understood what happened in the Holocaust. They understood what was happening across Europe. They understood the history, perhaps. And from the time Britain had this initial idea to begin this settlement of this area in the idea of Israel. Since then, there have been back and forth, war, an immense number of conflicts, immense number of tension, disagreements. Everywhere across the board in this area. It has been pervasive and continuous non-stop, with no resolution. And it has constantly been boiling over because you had the Jewish people who were thrown off the roof in Europe and landed in Israel on top of people who 
already lived there, on top of people who already had their lives there, their communities there, their way of life there. Two unfair circumstances meeting each other. And the way that it was done in a colonialist manner by the British, unfair to the natives, as had always been the case, it led to resentment, in the building of resentment. And this resentment persists today in new and unique forms. Yet its bases and roots run very deep. And I think it's very important to understand this context in this history, this back and forth, the plight of both sides to create the circumstance and the situation itself in order to really understand what's going on here. And I am very much not an expert on the entire history here. I know the big pieces, but I am not the expert to go to to fully explain to you the entire history of this conflict. Those people are few and far between, to be honest. And I think I think it's important for me to acknowledge that as I talk through this and as I talk through my point of view. Because I think that that is required of us in this dialogue, in this conversation, in this way of thinking about it. It is being very mindful of what we know and what we don't know. It is being humble in what we know and what we don't know. And being willing to listen, to learn, to test what we already know, to get feedback on that, and to update what we know. And the history of this is a great place to exercise just that. So moving on to speak about terrorism. As we look at what happened in the spark of this new war between Israel and Hamas, and I say Hamas and not Palestine, I say Hamas very distinctly because Hamas is not Palestine. And I think it's very, very important for us to note that. Hamas is a terrorist organization. Hamas is an organization who has a mission of eradicating Israel that is in their founding statements, their founding documents. And I think it is important to acknowledge that, that they have a mission and intentions. And that we cannot ignore that mission and intentions when we look at the way that they've acted. The atrocities that they've done to kill innocent people, to kidnap innocent people, to rape innocent people, to kill babies. And to record themselves doing these things and to publish them to the internet. These are acts of evil. These are horrifying events of humanity and they're unjustifiable they are wrong and we must acknowledge them as such 
because without being able to acknowledge these things as wrong, it is very difficult for us to have universal notions of anything. And I think it's very important for us to be able to acknowledge and define what is terrorism, what is a terrorist act. And these are things that fall under that. These are terrorist acts. And yet to return to my initial point in this segment, Hamas is not Palestine. In the Gaza Strip, there live 2.2 million people. Hamas is not the 2.2 million people who live in Gaza. Hamas is a small fraction. Within that 2.2 million people in Gaza, the median age is 19. There are around 1 million children who live there. Think about that. 1 million children. And this is where I think the context really comes into play. Hamas launched their attacks from within the Gaza Strip, this area of 2.2 million people. And it is, to put it bluntly, an open-air prison. There is extensive monitoring, extensive control from Israel over how life is, what goes in, what goes out. And there is an entire gate and fence that is impenetrable when functioning around the entire Gaza Strip. And it effectively makes it as I said, an open-air prison. This is a place where people are living, they are confined, and there is really no escape. There is no way out. And I say there is no way out because the only exit that they really have that is not an exit to Israel is an exit to Egypt. And Egypt is an actor who is really not interested in allowing Palestinian civilians into their country because they see Palestinians as a threat to the stability of their country, which ironically comes because Egypt itself is very unstable politically and socially. Yet they fear even greater instability, and they also fear the infiltration of Hamas into its own country. And because of the history, because of the terror, because of the back and forth of this conflict throughout many years, Israel made decisions to wall off Gaza, to isolate it to make it the way that it is. And although we cannot justify and say that any of these things are indeed right, can we say it was right for Israel to do that? No. Can we say it's right for Egypt to 
act the way that they do along their border with Gaza. No. But we have to acknowledge the context and we have to understand and empathize with both of the sides here. What it is like to grow up and to live in an open-air prison. It is incredibly inhumane. It is unjust. It is dehumanized. The opportunities that people growing up in Gaza have are incredibly limited. Their access to materials, their access to economic opportunity, it is dismal. And we have to acknowledge that it is dismal and that it is unfair because when you compare it to the opportunity of those on the other side of the wall there is a striking difference and to look at the people living in Gaza who are not members of Hamas who are not committing these acts of terrorism which we have witnessed These are innocent civilians. These are people trying to live their lives and trying to do so within the worst of conditions. This is an apartheid, to be frank. And that is even a term that is acknowledged by many Israelis, that this is what is happening. It is an apartheid state. Although internationally it is not recognized as an apartheid, if you compare what is happening in Gaza and what is happening to Palestinians in Israel compared to what was happening to blacks in South Africa, it is obvious that this would be considered apartheid when applying those same definitions. And they are both unjust situations. The people who are Palestinian, who live in Gaza, they are often dehumanized by both Israelis and by Hamas itself. Hamas is known to commit acts of terror And in defending themselves from their responses to those acts of terror, they use civilians within Gaza as human shields. They store their equipment in vital public services like hospitals and schools. And they do this with the acknowledgement and understanding That when these places are bombed, when these places are attacked, that it will generate a response from media around the world, showcasing the awfulness of the Israeli government in attacking such innocent places. But we have come to understand that these are not innocent places by design from Hamas. And I think that we we have to understand this. 
Hamas was democratically elected to be the governing party of Palestine, or in this case, of Gaza. And yes, we also have to acknowledge that there's not been an election since they took power through their election in 2005 or 2006, one of the two. And I think it's very, very important for us to separate Hamas from Palestine because of this. The Palestinian people are not all terrorists. They're not all bad-intentioned actors. To hear the Israeli government call them animals and to refer to them as animals, that dehumanization has been used in the past and it has been used against them. How common was it to hear Adolf Hitler refer to the Jews as rats? How common was it? And yet here we are, again. On the verge of seeing, potentially, what some would consider to be an act of ethnic cleansing in which Hamas attacks Israel and Israel responds with an incredibly powerful and heavy-handed response to blow up tons of infrastructure, to potentially invade on foot with an army of over 300,000. To send an order to 1.1 million people living in Gaza that they need to evacuate within 24 hours. As you've heard so far, there is so much to absorb from both sides. There's so much to make sense of from both sides. And I think if we are to ignore the complexity of the situation in order for us to make it more simple, to understand it more easily, then we are doing wrong to all parties. That is dehumanizing in itself, to remove the complexity of the lived experiences of these people, of the real conditions in which they all live. These are real things that must really be considered. And to blanketly say, I support one side or the other, at this point, to say that, looking at the entirety of the history it's a fallacy to do so. Instead, I, I believe that the approach that we must take is to look at aspects of this situation, events in this situation, components of the situation, one by one. And we have to evaluate them one by one. And when we do so, as we go through and evaluate them one by one, we will come to see that the scoreboard is not 100 to 0, it will be distributed. Because that is reality. We are all humans.
And because we are all humans, we are flawed. Some more flawed than others. And if we are to move forward to find a solution, we need to be willing to have the humility to admit to these errors, to admit to things not being right on each side. And that each side has its issues. Each side is not perfect. Each side is far from perfect. That makes a difference. And in order to form a solution, both sides need to show up with a, with a desire for one and with an openness for one, a willingness to look at what the other wants and to consider it. Throughout the history of this conflict, Israel has proposed two state solutions to Palestine and the Palestinian government, Hamas in this case, has consistently rejected them with no counterproposals. And I think that this speaks a lot of the challenge of the two-state solution in this situation. In order to find a solution, two parties need to come together. If not, there will be no solution, and it will go to the worst of its ends. And when Hamas's constitution involves the eradication of Israel, it's not the best place to start. In fact, it's a bad place to start. So we would have to take a step back and really evaluate what's possible here. How can both sides come together? Who from both sides is coming together? How is this happening? And what is a solution that can be agreed to and then be sustained? And how will it be sustained? And for me, this comes down to the question of a shared vision. Can these two drastically different parties come together to identify what needs to be done and also how they want to do it together? Or how they want to do it together with the help of other countries around the world who want to invest into this and who want to resolve this? It's overwhelming to think about how complex this is. And as it should be, this is a deeply rooted conflict. There's so many pieces at play. There's so much history. And we cannot ignore that. We cannot ignore how that complex history has led to unique individual trauma and collective trauma that both sides have experienced to date. And how that trauma, that pain, that suffering, that resentment, that fear, that hatred, all of that stems from deep psychological processes. And for me, that is one of the most dehumanizing things that we can do in this situation. To reduce these people to numbers, to reduce these people to pawns in a trajectory of history. 
That's not what this is. These are millions of people, human beings, just like me and you, who have suffered, who have family histories. This is the Palestinian family who lives in Gaza now, after the Nakba. They know exactly where their family home is. Their family home is still standing, and they know it, and it's occupied by someone else. This is an Israeli family who has aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, cousins, grandparents, parents who have gone to fight who have gone to fight in this war, who have suffered trauma, who have been exposed to the lowest of the low of the human experience who have seen things that are incredibly painful and traumatic family members who have been killed family members who have been taken as hostage and murdered family members who have fought in the army innocent civilians who have died from attacks, from bombings. Given how small these communities are in the grand scheme of things, everyone knows someone else who's been affected by this. Everyone knows someone else who's gone through it. And then it's always in the back of their heads. Is it going to be me? Is it going to be my son? Is it going to be my father? Is it going to be my cousin? Is it going to be my best friend? Who's next? What's going to happen? I heard Dr. Gabor Mate speak about this and something really heavy that he stated was the people in this situation do not have post-traumatic stress disorder because there is no post it continues. It is their life. Every day. And that's the issue that I have with how much that I see about this. Very few people really take this component into account. That these are human beings who carry all of this. This is in their being. This is who they are. The pain, the suffering, the history where they come from. It's a part of their identity. And when you think about the decisions that governments make, the decisions that people make, how people operate, how people come to hate, you can't think about that without everything that I just shared. And if people are going to come together at a table, if people are going to work together, if people are going to resolve this, if there is a sign of a solution, what is required of that solution is for people to acknowledge all of that at the table. To be able to sit together and to look at the other side and to say, I know your plight. 
I can share with you my understanding of your plight. I can share with you what I've seen, what I've come to understand, because I've tried. If two sides can come together with that, a lot can be done. Yet, I am pessimistic. Because what comes with trauma? What comes with pain? What comes with suffering? What comes with hatred? A lack of willingness to do just that. It is looking at the other side and calling them animals. It is dehumanizing them. It's putting them behind a fence. It's killing their babies. It's attacking and raping innocent people at a concert trying to celebrate peace. It's devastatingly complex, devastatingly sad, and devastatingly real. These are all the things that must be acknowledged in a real, meaningful dialogue about this. These are human experiences, and incredibly horrible human experiences. Yet they are human experiences, and they are humans who are processing them, humans who are making sense of them, and humans who are integrating them into their being as they go out into the world and act and try to operate and trying to find a way to live, try to find a way to make this life worth living, try to find a way to deal with the pain. This does not justify bad behavior. This does not justify evils and horror but it is necessary context so that's all for me I think that 34 minutes is enough for me to explain where I'm at with this this is an infinitely deep issue There's so much more that we can always say about this. We have to find a place to end. I suppose the last thing I will say is I I find that this conflict, this issue, is an incredible place to evaluate ethics. It's an incredible place to test philosophical questions. It's an incredible place to try to figure out what's right and how do you evaluate what's right and wrong in the world. As sad as that is, as sad as we need this to be as it is in order to do that. That's all I got. Thank you for listening. I hope that this was informative to you. I hope that you found value in this. I hope that this was eye-opening in some way. And I would love feedback from people. I really tried to be as accurate as possible from what I've gathered in the information that I've studied. And I'm more than happy to engage in dialogue about this. I want to learn and I want to grow and I want to refine what I know about the world. And I want other people to do so as well and I want to do that together with other people. So I thank you for listening and as always, much, much love. And in the meantime, take care.
Cheers.